Break the Ice podcast is presented by Superfood. If you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, check out mysuperfd.com for more information. everyone, Mike Vogel here for WashingtonCaps.com with another edition of Break the Ice, coming to you from Break the Ice National Headquarters here in Arlington, Virginia, and joined by Caps assistant coach, Kirk Muller. And um, Kirk, welcome to our, our humble studio <laughs> complex here. Um, how's nice Washington time. treating you so far? Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it starts with, uh, like anything, you know, the people you're working with. We got, we got a great staff. We got great players to work with. Uh, you know, very impressed with uh, the organization. You know, a lot of you know people proud to be a part of it, and and such great hockey fans. You know, I've had a chance, to, as you know, uh, you know, play here against Washington and coach against Washington over the years, and it's always been a great spot. But uh, as a city and area, and uh, through Virginia and DC and all that, just an impressive area. The, so much to do. Well, you've had a remarkable career as a player and as a coach, and and we're here to uh, kind of delve into a lot of that. 19 seasons as a player in the NHL, which to me were you essentially had two playing careers, one in the top six and, and one as a, a really good checking line guy and a glue guy uh, down the lineup later on in your career. Um, but kind of snuck up on me, probably not on you, but this is year 18 in, in the coaching biz for you. So it's one more year and you, you'll, you'll have matched uh, the, the playing career, which, I mean, that's – that's that's impressive. It's very impressive. Yeah, we uh, we know more as a coach than a player, you know. <laughs> but it it goes by quick, and uh, and I've been fortunate, you know. I've uh, <clears throat> worked with a lot of great people, and uh, you know, enjoy the every minute of it. You know, it's always I said it's a, it's a privilege to play in the NHL and work in the NHL, and um, just over the years, so many things have changed, so many things stay the same. Yeah. Um, but the the one that doesn't is we got great people in our sport and and uh, you know I enjoy every day coming to the rink and working with the guys. Yeah, that's the best part of it. Every day is different. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go way back. You were born in Kingston, Ontario, northern shore of uh, Lake Ontario. Um, grew up playing hockey there, I guess. And for me, kind of a weird thing. Like you, we we talk about the Connor Bedards and these these kids playing junior hockey at age fifteen. You actually played a couple of games your age fourteen season. Now, how how did that work back then? Because I think that was only because it was your hometown team. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> so basically, uh, you know, I grew up in Ontario, like you say, in Kingston, and um, I was playing minor hockey there. And then the level before major junior A, which people are familiar with, where a lot of players come out of the join the NHL or, you know, come from Europe or come from, you know, American colleges. So, you know, there's a draft that they have there. Mm-hmm. And so young kids and, uh, you know, in Canada, like, you know, uh, you get drafted, you leave home, you go to high school in that city and you play junior. And but that's essentially the draft is like, I think when you're 16, 16. Yeah. yeah. So the exception is, uh, and it wasn't planned or anything, but I was playing a level below and my season ended and the, you know, because I was from Kingston, you're allowed to bring kids up at any age. And uh, they had some injuries, and they thought there's a chance that I might be able to play the next year for the hockey team. So they came up and said, why don't, pra- why don't you practice with us? And I did, and a couple of injuries happened. And next thing you know, I'm playing in the playoffs against the uh, the Ottawa 67s. So uh, it was a great experience, and it kind of prepared me to, to get ready to play that next year. And then 
I guess you're you're just living at home, right? There's no billet, and then and then yeah. you get drafted to Guelph, and, yes. and now all of a sudden you're you're three plus hours away. Yeah. So basically, yeah. Like even though I played in kicks, and they they wouldn't have the rights to me, I still had to go in the draft like yeah. everybody. When and, you were sixty. Yeah. And so when I was sixty, I played a full year in kicks, and then I went to Guelph, and uh, uh, they were an expansion team, and uh, we're all young guys, and uh, you know, I spent a couple of years there before you know I, I turned pro. Well, and you, you had. a couple of great years there but like you say they they were not not a great team and yeah. and your second year there was your draft year yes and and there was a little bit of push me pull you going on between the well, I don't know, team canada hockey exactly uh, hockey yeah. canada where they wanted you to play in the sarajevo olympics yes or potentially play in the sarajevo olympics and guelph didn't want to let you go yeah. which i don't understand because why would you prevent a kid from playing in the Olympics if, if that was a possibility? What was that like for you to be kind of caught in the middle of that at, at such a tender age? Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was complicated because, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a golf player and I'm playing there yeah. and then team Canada comes and said at the beginning of the year, they, they said that they wouldn't take any junior A players. And as the season progressed, um, I think they kind of changed their mind, thinking you know we we need some reinforcement, um, and then in, in the, around that time, what happened is we went to the World Juniors in Sweden, uh, and there was about three or four of us on that team that four they were watching, and um, so they I think they said you know at that time they said listen uh, Olympics are coming up can we borrow the these four guys for for the Olympics and then we'll get you back to your junior teams and um and that's really what happened so i i do uh old guelph uh you know a lot of thanks for them allowing me to go and, and i participated in the olympics and uh you know had my birthday over there and yeah. uh you know it was a quite an experience anytime you get a chance you know for kids in canada playing hockey we we never grew up our dream wasn't to be in the olympics it was always to win the stanley cup and then this opportunity just presented itself so to play in the olympics in 84 in Sarajevo, yugoslavia uh, play against the Russians at the time, you know, Fatisov and Kasatonov, the, you know, the big five, uh, was just a really cool experience. And, and really because of the, you know, that, you know, level of hockey, it really prepared me for my next year, you know, when I turned pro starting in Jersey. Well, and, and like you, you alluded to those, those four guys. So pretty remarkable situation. You guys were the first four Canadians to play for a world junior team and in the olympics in the same year and like you say you celebrated your birthday over there i think you were a couple of days past 18 when you played yeah, um yeah. in the olympics and then um you were the youngest guy on on that team what what was that like being you know in a foreign land there and and i mean there was i feel like there was some some unrest going on and, and yeah. you had guys who were, who were defecting from some of those places it was it was a real life lesson you know you you think you know playing hockey it's all about hockey and all that but the lessons and you know the experiences you you know you 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 witness and uh and go through over the years you know and that was one of them is that you know yugoslavia months later was going through a civil war yeah. right when the olympics ended so we witnessed the soldiers around, you know, the, you know, the, a lot of the chaos that was going on and yet here they are, you know, hosting the Olympics. So we're fully aware of all that situation and I'd never even been to Europe before. So I go to Sweden for the first time in the world juniors and, you know, just that alone at that age and traveling and seeing a different country and different cultures was pretty cool. But that, but seeing a country like Yugoslavia in that situation was pretty unique. Um, you know, the, during the Cold War, uh, you know, playing against Russians and, you know, Czechoslovakia at the time. And, 
uh, just the, 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 you know, the, obviously the cold war plus the competition yeah. between Canada and these countries, uh, at that time was just, uh, you know, it was just a very interesting time. And then, like you said, that, that, that was also your draft year and, and that was a pretty interesting draft year because Mario Lemieux was, was the, the, the prize there for if you could <laughs> manage to finish with, with the worst possible record and it, it looked like Jersey and Pittsburgh were really vying for that, that right. And I, Pretty sure that's when they sort of changed the, uh, the 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 rules to discourage that that sort of thing <laughs> yes, uh, for, yes. from going on. But as a guy who was clearly one of the top couple of picks in that draft, what what was your perspective as that you know once you got back from the Olympics and and now you know that that draft's a couple of months away and you're finishing out the season with Guelph. How much of an eye did you have on what was going on in the NHL between those teams and trying to figure out, is it going to be Chicago? Is it going to be New Jersey? Is it going to be Pittsburgh? How much of that was going on while while you were finishing out that that junior career? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, this is 84, and, you know, you just didn't get the the media attention today. So, uh, you know... We all knew Mario was going to go first. I mean, you know, he's, he's obviously Mario Lemieux. He's, yeah. And we all know what kind of player he, he was and everything. And then after that, it was, you know, it was, you know a couple uh, talks about uh, myself and a couple players, Eddie Oldchuk and that were going second or yeah. third. So, you know, I knew the possibility of, you know, it could go to Chicago or trades or, you know, Jersey was going to have a second pick. But I never really focused too much on who or where. I, I think it was, I was just so excited that it was my draft year. I really was, and like I said, there wasn't that media attention that that uh, you see today. So I kind of just went back to Guelph and said, "Hey, I got a, I got some games here to, to really uh, try to crank it up and get this team, uh, you know, to do well and uh, go into the playoffs and all that." So I never really was worried or concerned about where I went or you know, did I go second or third? I was just. I just loved playing hockey at the time, to be honest with you. So it wasn't it wasn't that uh, complicated in terms of you know wondering what what's going to present themselves not uh, uh, next chapter during the draft. I think the big winner in that draft was Gus Badali because he, he was he was Mario's agent and he was your yeah. agent, so yes. he was he was going to do okay either way. Yes, that's true. But that's um, true. what was your reaction when you and and I think like this was. Typically, the draft had been done conference call, kind of remote, but this one was held at the forum. Yeah. Was it sort of the the format that we know today? Yeah, it was uh, the same type of situation. You know, you, you know, Mario obviously went first, and my name got called, and I had my family down there. I grew up, uh, you know, three hours yeah, from Montreal, and um, and then that was it. You know, it was kind of like uh, you know the big celebrations with the family. You know, and you kind of just left the rink. It wasn't. Uh, it was kind of like that was that for the day, but I had played junior uh, at the Worlds with John McClain. He had already been drafted yeah, in uh, New Jersey, and uh, we became really good friends. And, you know, he said, hey, listen, there's a good chance you might get drafted to Jersey, by the way. The draft's going and all that would be teammates. So uh, so that was kind of cool. We I, I started in Jersey with a really young group of guys. Yeah. Uh, we never went to college, obviously, and so that was sort of like our college days. And you know, moving to the United States for the first time and living in the Jersey area and, you know, just that, just the experience of joining the NHL, but also just living in a fast paced area. Like people f- forget sometimes like, you know, you're pro athletes, but 
it's a it's a it was a it was a little bit of a culture shock. <laughs> well, be honest you, with you. And you're 18 years old too, yeah. and and I mean, how do you how how was that transition? Because it's you, you you all of a sudden you got a lot of free time now on your hands too, and like you said, you're you're just over the river from you know a pr- pretty amazing city. Yeah. In, in New York, what was that like? <laughs> trying to trying to navigate your way. Yeah. In you know on the ice as an 18 year old in in the NHL, but also all the other side stuff that was going yeah, on yeah you know what it's so funny because uh you know i was 18 johnny was 19 <clears throat> uh pat verbeek was 20 uh joe Sorrell was 21 yeah. so four of us lived together wow. uh all within that you know the four you know four years apart uh then we had a big separation on our team where there's a lot of older players at the end of their career so that's how we kind of broke in these guys are great mentors and helped us out uh on and off the ice but you know it was it was, it was uh it was the 80s, you know, it was like we practiced hard and uh, went out and had lunches and beers every day together. And I'm like, <laughs> if people today would be like, you know, that's, that's crazy. Or if I tell the players, I go, it was just a different uh, world back then. But uh, it was, uh, but you had very tight, close group of players because you spent so much time yeah. together. And um, interesting looking back, thinking of, you know, that's that's what the life was uh, at that time. It was very different, and, and training camps were long, and there were oh, a lot of preseason games because guys needed the, that time to, to get in shape from, oh, from you the know, summers. Yeah, I mean, you guys would sit there and say, you know, hey, it's July 1st, you know, it's you know, it's time to start working out, getting in shape, and but you, like you say, it was long, you do, you know, you do two scrimmages a day. Uh, during training camp, you'd play way more exhibition games. So, I mean, by the time opening night hits, you, you know, at the end, you know, we're we're ready to go. It just we did it a whole different way, you know, and probably a lot harder way than the guys today that take you know such good care of themselves. They're in such great shape, and they don't need the games that we needed to to get to that that place. But um, I always remember a funny stories uh, having an ex uh, having a scrimmage in the morning. And two teammates uh, look at each other and say, hey, you know what, like we got to fight each other just to kind of prove that we're still, uh, you know, good with this team. And the one guy said to the other, he goes, you know what, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll fight you this afternoon. <laughs> it's too early. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. <laughs> So people forget too that when the Caps came into the league in 1974-75 that the Devils were actually their their expansion brothers. They were in the Kansas City Scouts and later the Colorado Rockies and by the time you got to New Jersey they'd been there for a couple of years but they hadn't had a whole lot more success than than Washington had over that period of time. And I, I was living in Chicago at the time and I was at the game where you guys the last game of the regular season 87-88 where you guys won that game, and it was John McClain who scored the tying goal late in the third period, and then the game winner in overtime, Darren yeah. Pang, was in net. And I was talking to him about this game just the other night. Um, Chicago Stadium, and you guys, that, that was the first time you got in the playoffs, and you guys parlayed that into, I think, conference final that yeah. year. You might have knocked out the Caps <clears throat> on the way. What was that yeah. like? Because you led that team in scoring, and that was kind of what put Jersey on the map, and and maybe the very beginning yeah. of those cup teams that that came a few years later. <laughs> yeah, we knew it was uh, it was going to be a process there. You know, we we're we we're young, we weren't very good, um, but we wanted to get better, and we we had a great group. Uh, uh, Lou Lamorello came in, uh, you know, uh, did a great job. Uh, you know, we we just kept climbing and climbing. Like you say, you need that kind of spark to kind of get over the hump. And, 
you know, we've been battling for a few years, and then all of a sudden that you know winning goal by Johnny McLean, the last game of the year to finally make a you know catch into the playoffs, and then we ran with it, you know, and we uh, we went the three rounds and lost out to Boston before the going to the finals. Uh, we played Washington in there, and I think to this day, believe it or not, I think it might be the most penalty minutes in one series <laughs> ever in, in the history of the NHL, which. It's kind of no one would really yeah. think, you know, that would be that. But great teams here with Scott Stevens and, you know, Rod Langway was such a hard group to play against. Um, but, you know, that was sort of the, the stepping stone for that organization that we went three rounds and then, you know, we kind of carried on from there. And then, you know, obviously the, they went on to, to win a couple of cups after that. What was it like playing for Jim Schoenfeld took over that team in the middle of the season? And he was the guy who was here when I started um, the first coach that I worked under here in Washington. And I, I don't know how he was to play for, which is why I'm asking, because he, he was really good yeah. w- with us in the media. Yeah, well, if you remember him as a player, you know, he's that hard hard, uh, hard player yeah. to play against and defensive defenseman, and um, and he coached that way. You know, like he, he was great because, you know, he's an ex-player. He, uh, he took over uh, and he pushed us and, you know, made us get to that next level. Um, that we hadn't experienced yet as players at the NHL level. So, you know, I, I thought he was the perfect coach at the time to, to really push us and understand how hard it is to, to you know, win hockey games in the playoffs. When you, were, when you were, I think, in your draft year in the OHL, you were voted smartest player in the OHL by a, a coach's poll, which, you know, speaks to the, the type of player that you were. But which coaches inspired you like over over the course of, of your career which ones are, are the ones whose whose voices you you still may hear because I know that guy like Ken Hitchcock you played yeah. for him and then you were on his staff later on too yeah well you know what I I think what was interesting is like when I grew up in you know with your listeners like in, in Canada it's like it's not like you always get we had very passionate coaches but you know, it was a stage where you were really on your own. You know, you had that freedom to, uh, it wasn't so structured like the way we grew up playing hockey. You know, you're on a team and everything, but there wasn't that much systems. And, and I think because we, we played off of our instincts and all that, it allowed us to, mm-hmm. that freedom to really, uh, you, you know, think outside the box and, and not be so programmed to do certain things. So I think Growing up that way, I'm, and a lot of ex-NHL guys, we talk about this as playing pond hockey outside and playing and being creative and, and you know, pushing the limit on different things. And I think that allows, you know, more room for uh, creativity. Um, once you get to the NHL, of course, it's all about winning. And, you know, coaches, and I've been really, you know, blessed with great coaches. You know, Ken Hitchcock was a very well-prepared coach, uh, knew the opponents really well, had, had his teams always totally prepared to, to play whoever you were going to play against that that year. And you had a real strong identity with Hitch. It was a hard working blue collar style. Uh, so you knew what your, you know, what your role was, how you're supposed to play. Uh, Pat Burns was a great coach, mm-hmm. had him in Montreal and Toronto. Same thing. It was, uh, he really believed in, you know, reinforcing your team. He didn't really care too much about the opponents. It was more like, this is who we are. We're going into your rink. We're playing the same way. Uh, we don't change, you know, and that was his philosophy. And then again, Jock Demers, who I won a cup with, um, he was a player's coach, very free-spirited, very open-minded, very great communicator, you know, both ways. He wanted information. He wanted you to, you know, he wanted to talk. And, uh, 
and he allowed you to have uh, you know uh, creativity and put a lot on the players for responsibility. So three coaches that won uh, Stanley Cups and three coaches that you know in different ways got the same message across. Do you feel like that that creativity that that was like like you said came from the the pond hockey days? Did, do you feel like it sort of got tamped down by the the advent of video and and neutral zone traps and things like that that came out of all that and and X's and O's sort of got a little prominent and then now it seems like the game's at least it's yeah. loosened up there there's still some room for creativity out there uh, yeah well some of the rules have changed allow you know uh, skilled players to open up you know the obstructions the obstructions the holding the <laughs> the hooking, you know, that used to be a part of the game. Um, thank God, big prolonged my career. <laughs> um, but it, but no, I mean, it's, there is more room out there. Uh, you know, no red line anymore. Yeah. You know, more, you know, more longer passes. So there is opportunities for players to you know create more stuff right now than it was before uh, for a while. Um, and and you know, and, and I I just but I think there's opportunities for young kids that don't be afraid to like. Let them uh, go out and play, uh, you know, uh, during practice and all that, a less structured type at some time and just let them free wheel. And, and unfortunately with, you know, the climate, even in Canada, you know, we don't have as many outdoor rinks anymore. So that's where kids used to get that extra ice time and just go. But, you know, there's a lot of places that, you know, the winters aren't as cold as they used to be. Yeah, those rivers don't stay as as frozen for as long. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that '93 Cup team, and and that was that was some some run that you guys had. You lost, you, you had Quebec in the first round. And you lost game one in overtime. Yeah, and that's the only overtime game you guys lost. You <laughs> ten and zero after that in yeah. overtime, and obviously Patrick Wow was a, a big part of that. But a bunch of you guys, and you, you had a uh, a series clinching overtime um, goal in the Buffalo series. I mean. What was that like for me? There's there's two things that stand out about that team that that are kind of crazy when you look back, especially when you look at all the other teams that have won mm-hmm. cups since then. That that team might have had the youngest defense of any cup winner in the last thirty years. There's yeah. four defensemen on that team that were age twenty two or twenty three that that all had ten plus goals, all had twenty five plus points, which is remarkable in itself. But they the four of them went on to play more than 4,000 games in the league, too. Yeah. And none of them were that, that sort of stud number one, but they were all good second-pair guys, good two-way guys. I'm talking about uh, Schneider, Desjardins, Haller. Yeah, Daniel, um, yeah, Daniel <laughs> was one of the older guys. Yeah, Daniel and yeah. Oldeline were the two guys who were just <laughs> yeah. a shade older than, right. than the other two. But um, you look at every other team that won the cup, that's the one team that, that has like the, the least amount of blue line experience, but 16 and four, you can't argue with that. Yeah. It was really, uh, it was interesting how the team was built because we weren't a very fast team up front. Um, in fact, when we do drills and practices, we were like, we didn't want to skate against the D because <laughs> they, they were faster than we were. Um, <laughs> but they were, they, it was interesting. Serge Savard, you know, GM for 10 years, yeah. we know three Stanley Cup appearances, wins two. Pretty remarkable and pretty smart hockey player uh, in his day and yeah, obviously a GM. GM and too. Put a team together with, you know, mobile defensemen to move the puck, uh, which was not at that time. It was a little bit more like having big physical D and having a mix. So 
we were a really good puck moving team out of our zone, and uh, and we were a well balanced team. You know, we we weren't considered the the major superstars or anything, but we it really proves that if a team really you know gels together and and has the same philosophy and works together and accepts their roles and plays as a team, you never know what's going to happen. And we're the first to say that we were not the best team at all uh, during that couple of years, but. But we strung, you know, strung together good seasons, and we we played so well as a group that uh, good things happened. You guys really hit your stride too when when it mattered the most. Um, and and as a guy who played in both of those markets, Montreal and Toronto, looking back on it now and seeing kind of what it's like playing in those cities now, and you obviously have a a good handle on what it's like playing in Montreal, having been back there as an assistant a couple of times. What what are your thoughts on, on how that's sort of evolved, that, that sort of fishbowl um, situation of the, the yeah. constant media attention? And, and do, do you favor either of those situations <laughs> looking back? Did you have m- more Straight. enjoyment? I mean, obviously you win a cup in Montreal. That's yeah. going to yeah. stand out. But what was it like playing in those two cities in those days? Well, I mean, in Montreal, if you really paint the picture, you know, they like they don't have a you know an NBA team, you know, uh, uh, they lost you know they lost the Expos and all that. <clears throat> so it, it's a it's a team that's really uh, people are very loyal to all year round. So because of you know, they're missing a couple other major sports teams, you know, you imagine the media attention focuses on that on that club. Uh, and it's all year round. So you know, there's there's the English and there's the French and uh, media, so there's so much attention and uh, to that hockey team, and you know they have the history, and there's a lot of pressure to win, um, a lot of expectations. You know, normally when when we were there, and we, I was in my prime years, so um, I thought it was great because you know the season is hard, and yeah. to be good 82 games a, uh, a year is is difficult. But I I just found the nights that you didn't have it, and the fans let you know. You know, all of a sudden it's like amazing how the mind. Tri- tricks your body and you get that second uh, energy and second win so uh, i i just thought uh, that type of uh, atmosphere was was what i really enjoyed as a, as a player at the time so it pushed you but I, I i just thought it was awesome and you know very similar to toronto you know the very loyal um um you know hockey fans obviously they got a couple of more sports teams there but it's a big area it's it's very populated area in ontario um so that you know there's a lot of proud uh you know you know, Maple Leafs, original six people. And um, again, the expectations are high. So um, I, I guess, you know, I, I enjoyed that pressure and uh, and the expectations. And I, I just thought it pushed you as, a, as an individual and, 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 you know, as an athlete. I think you got traded to the Islanders at the deadline in that, that lockout yep. season. Yep. And and you had the, the good sense to the Islanders were kind of a mess at that at that point. They were about to have a really ugly ownership thing come come around after you you got out of there. But you, you didn't really take to that situation. And and yeah, it, looking back on that now, what, what it was it was actually kind of a uh, stuff got out of proportion. But at the end of the day, what really happened was <clears throat> I'd spent seven years of my career in Jersey on a rebuilding team and. Um, uh, I was really proud to be a devil at the time. We we grew up together, all us young guys. We grinded through it, uh, and then I get traded to Montreal, and uh, I had four you know great years there as as far as enjoying it and everything. Um, when I got traded back to the island, you know the big thing was they wanted to rebuild, 
it was the was the yeah. discussion. I was going into my twelfth year. I didn't know I was going to play nineteen. I I I thought I might be playing thir- huh. you know fourteen fifty, and I said. You know, listen, I, I, nothing against the New York Islanders. I have most respect for that organization and, you know, all those, you know, Hall of Fame players that played there. I just said, hey, listen, seven years I committed to a rebuild. At my stage of my career, is it okay? I don't really, you know, feel like I, yeah. you know, I want to go through it again. Um, you know, I'm more after, you know, in the present and trying to win another cup. And that was really it. So it had not, you know, things got a little... Uh, misquoted or different things, but at the end of the day, that, that's all it really was. Well, and that happens in that market for sure. Um, <laughs> w- and then you want to play a few years in, in Florida and, yeah. and get back to the, the cup final in, in uh, Dallas in 2000, I think it was. Um, what was the transition like yeah. from, from going, because I mean, you had, I think, five seasons with 30 goals, nine seasons with 20 or more goals. But but you were you stayed in the league and were still an effective player. And the other thing that's kind of wild to me is like you had a consecutive game streak early in your career. It was like three hundred and seventy games or so, and played through a lot of stuff then. But even later in your career, I mean, eye, ankle, wrist, uh, back spasms, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you you really did live the every <laughs> every kind every single. I mean, you think about it. Top six, bottom six, checking line, power play, PK, Stanley Cup, rebuilding teams. I mean, you 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 ran the gamut, and I think that that all that experience has to have had an effect on you as a as a coach. It it really has, um, and I think that's the enjoyable part is like you know <clears throat> dealing with players today is is you know they don't want to hear about my my past and my and, and I and I and I never talked to them about it obviously but but it's the experiences that I yeah. that I can help them with you know you know then you you, you hit it on the nail you know I was lucky I broke in as a high drop pick number one center and as the years went by you know number two third line check in center fourth line healthy scratch uh, but it gave me an opportunity to really see the game through everyone's eyes you know as forwards in different roles and uh, whether you're an offensive guy or a checking guy or a healthy scratch or an older player. Uh, and, and I think that those experiences really helped me with the players. And, and I think they respect the fact that I did go through it and that uh, I can I can relate to them in those scenarios. So um, I try to use those experiences with the guys and, you know, guys that, you know, haven't scored in 10 games or, you know, slumps or, yeah. you know, pretty much every scenario I think I've kind yeah. of gone through, you know, playing with injuries. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it, it really has helped. Uh, and I think that's why I've been able to kind of stay in the game is because, again, even though I'm getting older and the players are young, it's I think I could still kind of relate with them. Of Those type of things don't really change in the game. How would you compare the, the process of sort of finding your way, finding your place on a team? You know, anytime you move to a new team, um, you, you're, you're looking to open some eyes, show these coaches what you're all about as a player, et cetera. What's that like now as when you go from, uh, you know, one, one organization to another as a coach, and especially in the situation here where you're, you're working under the youngest head coach in the league, and, and a guy who's in the NHL for the first time, you're you're kind of the glue guy here. You're it's it's sort of what we just talked about. You've been through everything, you've experienced everything. You're kind of here to 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 help guide these guys in, in a sense. Uh, what's it like, sort of meshing and, and developing that that staff chemistry, which I think 
people don't really understand like that that's pretty important to the yeah. to the flow as well well i think it starts with uh obviously with carbs you know he put a staff together and you know his belief was to really get a, a group that believes in the same stuff uh very flexible and uh you know and what they do um you know he's very open-minded on ideas suggestions uh we're all in it together it's not, you know, this is his his team and everything's, you know, what he wants to do. So he's really opened it up for us all to, you know, be inclusive and, and add our ideas and all that. And like you say, like, I I think it's awesome because it's a young staff. Um, I kind of sit back sometimes and just let them have that eagerness and that youthfulness. And, you know, Mitch, you know, has worked so hard. And, for example, you know, first time in the NHL. And I, I just sit back and love how enthused they are and how excited they are for these opportunities. And um, if there's times there where, you know, a little guidance on, you know, you know, because it is different, you know, working in the NHL and working with superstars and, and you know, uh guys that have been established and everything that, uh, you know, how you handle them and, you know, with practices, uh, games, ice time, uh, you know, communication. So it's really important. So I, I've really enjoyed working with these guys and, um, it's, and that's where I think it starts with. Those 19 seasons that you played, was there a point in, in that period of time where you thought coaching might be something that you wanted to do? Cause I know there was a gap between the end of your, your playing career and that's understandable too. You might just need, a couple of years to reset but so so two-part question i guess is um were you sort of thinking about becoming a coach and how did it come about that that you joined Guy Guy carvino's staff there in montreal yeah well very wise guy that uh i have a lot of uh, respect for bob gainey uh i was i finished up in dallas and um when i finished playing you know i was like you know what do i do next and um uh, you know, he had great advice. He's like, you know, why, why don't you take a year off? You've, you've you spent your whole life playing hockey and since a kid and everything and, you know, the 19 years of playing. And he says, take a year off and enjoy the family and all that. And, and then if you get the itch or whatever, you'll know you want to get back into the game or you want to venture off and do something different. And I kind of took that, you know, I was like, wow, I, there's so many things I've never had a chance to do, uh, you know, in my life uh, because it takes up so much time. Yeah. And I did. I took a year off, and then uh, I I went back to Queen's University, which is a Canadian university in my hometown. And uh, they asked me to, you know, coach, and I said, oh, "I'll try it out, see if uh, if I like it." I'm right back in my hometown anyway, and mm. I enjoyed it. And then all of a sudden, Guy Carbonell, an old teammate, uh, called me and says, "I got coached a bunch of all Canadians. Would you come join it?" And I jumped on board, and I was right back into it. <laughs> I think you worked under six different head coaches there in the two two stints yes. in, in Montreal. And how, how different was that? See, seeing that uh, from 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 being a player to 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 being a coach in two different buildings, and you know all all of those things too. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, you know the styles changed even in Montreal. You know, like uh, you know when I was playing there, we were a very uh, well coached uh team you know uh, defensively you know we didn't we we couldn't keep up with uh the pittsburgh penguins of you know mary lemieux and ronnie francis and these guys they had a lot of star hall of fame guys you know there there's elite teams at the time so we're like if we want to do well we got to be a good team without the puck and be better defensively and, and obviously it worked but you know so uh you know and now you know if you look at the 
the the NHL, the East versus the Western Conference. You know, there's more, you know, you know, offensive minded teams in the East now, and it's a little more wide open skating. Where, you know, at West, it's you know, there's still uh, it's the philosophy out there, a little bigger, heavier teams. So, so you know, you know, the Montreal teams now are a little more you know on skill and speed and everything you know different than when I played there. So it changes over uh, the course of. You know, you you take the group of players you have and try to find the identity and uh, you know whatever you think is the best for that group. So, but it, but you know, at the end of the day, the the both ranks they did a good job of building the new arena, the Bell Center, and um, it's still got uh, you know great enthusiasm there, and it's uh, it's a fun place to play. It's a great place to watch a game too. Um, and and what went into I guess after three four years in in Montreal, got a opportunity with the Carolina organization, which originally started out in one of, one of my favorite cities, Milwaukee. Um, but, but not for long, like you, you got bumped up to, to head coach, I think replaced Paul Maurice maybe. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think Johnny McLean and, and Rob Brindamore were on your staff there too. What was that like to, to, it, you, you're taking a job in the American League, and then a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden, it, it's, it's an NHL head job. Yeah, it wasn't uh, the plan, I guess. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I was in Montreal, and I was like, I, you know, it's, I felt like I was the right time to <clears throat> to go over my stripes, and uh, if I wanted to be a head coach, so I said, if I do that, I got to go to the minors, and I went to Milwaukee, a part of Nashville's organization, and um, started out there, and told my wife, you know, be ready, it could take two or three years uh, of living, uh, you know, in Milwaukee to see if anything develops from it. And uh, I think like a month later, I got the call from Carolina saying we, we made a change uh, and Jimmy Rutherford hired me in Carolina. So <laughs> I more, more interesting than anything is I had a daughter in 12th grade and brought her from Canada down to Milwaukee. She's trying to go to university and then from there, I said, oh boy, uh, I just brought you over the border to the uh, United States. And now I'm moving to Carolina. Now I'm going to move you to another high school. <laughs> and, but the good news is she ended up going to, she got an NC State and everything oh, worked out. That's but good. that's not really the time you probably should be moving to 12th grader and uh, right. try to get into universities. But uh, I get into Carolina, had a great experience and worked with Johnny McLean and, you know, Roddy Brindamore. Uh, another ex uh, <clears throat> teammate, Dave Lewis, was there. And, um, and it was a it was a great uh, learning experience for me as a as a head coach, and and here in Washington, obviously, your one of your responsibilities is is the power play, which scuffled a little bit last year. But I mean, the, there are obviously extenuating factors. A lot of those guys were out for chunks of the season. But what's your what's your approach when you come in and you're, you're trying to familiarize yourself with a, a new crop of players, um, and and you're tackling the uh, you know, the, the task of, of trying to get some really successful guys yeah. back on track and, and maybe change up, you know, just open up the air and open up the windows and let some air in. Yeah, well, I, I, I give the guys credit. They've uh, they've been open. You know, I come in and I'm like, hey, and I think it's communication, really. Like, you know, it's not like we came out uh, gangbusters at the beginning of the year on the power play, but I I like the looks that we're, we're getting right now. Um, I just said to them, listen – I've seen you guys for uh, over a decade for some of them, uh, you know, with Box and obviously, you know, Ovi and that. And, you know, Stromer's kind of come in new and that. And I said, you know, you guys have things that you're really, really good at and uh, you've had great success. 
Um, how about some couple other ideas I have that might make it uh, a little more uh, unpredictable and, and give some different looks so that, uh, you know, you guys can be more dangerous than that. So it's it, it's coming together. Um, they still have some of their plays that you, you, you see over the years that they, they're really – fine-tuned on and uh they're good at and uh but they've been good at listening to some other options and uh giving it a different look and we're just piecing that together now so um the last few games like the last few games it's 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 looked pretty dangerous i thought it was a lot of fun to watch yesterday just yeah. the movement it, it's, yeah. it you know how much of that it, it, it's it's obviously guys need to read and react off one another are there kind of trigger points that they're looking for amongst themselves where they that tells them kind of yeah well you know what uh, penalty killers it's in in you know like they something they kill differently now than they did uh you know six seven yeah. years ago even even five years ago um so you know on you know just saying hey this this is how they're killing um the here's some other options that might work against that um and i think it's just the areas that uh present themselves that you know you can find that you can attack you know it's obviously everyone's you know seen over you with the one timer and you know the, the the great little plays they make in the corners but you know the bringing the puck up higher more you know going side to side spreading the penalty killing out you know uh, you know afraid that you're gonna attack from the other side attack from behind the net you've seen some plays that yeah. way uh keeping the shot volume from up top from the guys like uh carlson and sandy and all that so you know you're getting threats from the you know the half walls the goal line from the top you know with the defensemen so in both sides so it's just it's just being more uh, unpredictable and 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 it more motion and attacking with numbers rather than uh you know just a one hit type you know really awesome play and then that's it so um that's kind of what the philosophy of what we're trying to instill Last thing before we let you go, and you, and you brought it up, so I, I, want, I want to ask you about it. Attacking from behind the net, and New Jersey ran a power play probably 20 years ago or so now where they had, I think it was Jason Arnott in the middle, Rafalski and, and Niedermeyer at the points, Eliash, and I can't remember who the other guy was, but they had two guys below the goal line. Yeah. Where So you're, now you're, you're forcing the defense to, to, to defend with their backs to, to the guys who are going to hurt them. Yes. I mean, yeah. and it was successful – how come we don't see that that alignment in, in the in the league anymore? I, I remember seeing that and and marveling at yeah. maybe maybe it's personnel based. I'm not sure, but it it seemed effective and and I don't I haven't seen anybody run that in a long time. Yeah, and you see it more in five on three. Uh, but yeah, you, like you say, you don't see sure. it so much five on four. Um, but you're starting to see a little bit more motion of guys starting to go behind the net. Uh, it's starting to creep in a little bit more because penalty killers are so good. Um, and more than even that is that goaltending is so good. Yeah. So you think every time if you play behind the net, that goalie has to go tight into his net, and it makes it makes it difficult for a goalie that if you move it out, set up, and you know attack with shots, you know he's so deep in his net, it's not what their comfort zone is. So it makes it really tough on goalies when you're getting you know lateral passes behind the net, and he's following it, and he's in deep. So um, a lot of times that's that's uh, that, that's tough on the goalies. Well, we're going to enjoy watching the uh, the evolution of the power play here as the season unfolds, and it's it's been fun to to see their growth even in the in these first eight games. Thanks so much to Kirk Muller for spending some time with us here on Break the Ice. Thanks to producer extraordinaire Zach Garrett, and we'll see you next time here on Break the Ice. So- 
Superfood Performance Nutrition fuels the Washington Capitals, players, and staff on and off the ice. Each bite is energy-packed, highly nutritious, and engineered to boost recovery time. When they're not feeding pro athletes, Superfood is bringing the same high-quality nutrition to offices nationwide through their flagship corporate meal program, Simply Lunch. So if you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, check out mysuperfd.com for more information.